This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Drill Down. The business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Monday, June 14. Well, just ahead, the CEO of Clean Energy Fuels explains why his business can accelerate as fast as the Wall Street bets crowd is accelerating his stock. Plus, listen to Fisker Motors talk about growth and not talk about the elephant in the room. And we'll dig into zero trust cybersecurity with zero trust leader and our guest, Zscaler CEO Jay Chandri. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Pandora. But hit that subscribe button and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. Corey, uh, so many. Tough to whittle it down to three, but here we go. Three. I'll try. Number one, JP Morgan is sitting on about half billion dollar stockpile of cash waiting to invest in higher rates in the coming months. And that's according to CEO Jamie Dimon, who spoke on Monday at a virtual banking conference. The JP Morgan plan aims to position the bank to, quote, benefit from rising rates both from the short end and the long run and long rates. Jamie Dimon added that it will hinge on, quote, the decision we make over the next six to nine months. Now, by the way, Fed officials are meeting tomorrow and Wednesday, Tuesday and Wednesday, that is, with their latest monetary policy decision set to include updated forecasts. So we'll be watching yeah. these comments all week long. So does that mean Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan, I should say not Jamie Dimon himself, but JP Morgan's betting that interest rates are going to go up and they want to be in more in cash and less in bonds right now? That's exactly right. Interesting, because when inflation is coming, you know what you don't want to be in? Cash. Now, number two, Bitcoin reaches highest level in more than two weeks, trading once again around $40,000. The cryptocurrency got a boost after MicroStrategy completed a $500 million offering of junk bonds to buy Bitcoin. And yes, Bitcoin also got a boost from Elon Musk. The My billionaire, buddy. <laughs> the billionaire Tesla CEO said he'll let Tesla accept Bitcoin as payment for electric cars, once the energy consumed to mine the cryptocurrency reaches about 50% renewable. And who's going to measure that? That big you know, measuring people stick People were hitting in the me up sky. over the weekend. Remember we yeah. talked on Friday how they're using my voice to promote the new Tesla? Yeah. I, people hit me over the weekend saying, you should sue him. Like, I'm Cease not going to sue him. No. It's, it's an honor. Elon, anything I can do to it's help you It's an honor out, and a man, privilege. I'm here for you. You want to use my voice, you just, you go crazy, buddy. 
And finally, the third most important business story of the day, the CEO and the CFO of electric truck startup Lordstown Motors have stepped down. Oops. A a special committee found that some disclosures the company made about truck pre-orders were, quote, inaccurate. This may not come as a surprise to the Drill Down listeners who listened to our episode back on May 25th when we first started talking about Lordstown's struggles making electric vehicles. Last month, the company said that making electric trucks was going to be more expensive than they had planned. Yeah, this will be interesting because the CEO uh, is still the uh, owns a quarter of the company. So you wonder what he does. What does he do with this stock right now? It still has a tremendous value even after the sell-off today. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, speaking of trucks, let's talk about Motor Car Parts of America. Motor Car Parts of America, MPAA, shares rose 3% today, and they've gained 47% over the past 12 months. What's going on with MPAA, Motor, Park, Motor Car Parts of America? Yeah, small cap company, about 500 million market value. Um, it's, it's as exciting as it sounds. They make hard engine parts. Vroom, vroom. What's a hard engine part, you're wondering? Um, a hard engine part <laughs> are the parts that, are, that an engine that are hard. Correct. Uh, like oh, the okay, crankshafts, bearings, piston rings, cams, lifters, push gotcha. rods, valves, and other valve train components. Those are called hard parts because they're made of hard metal usually, and they're usually deep inside the engine. They tend to be slow-moving parts, and uh, they are greatly in demand. Um, it was interesting to hear them uh, talk about this today on their conference call because fundamentally what the company was saying is that uh, um, there's great demand for everything in the automobile industry right now. And the CEO really talked kind of about how it was, um, how he felt it as much as he could see it. He could see it in the results. But he said, just everyone I talked to is seeing in this industry that they're wanting to spend more money on their cars and they're wanting to uh, do everything they can to take their used cars and make them more usable because it's hard to get new cars. It's hard to get old cars. And it's hard to get car parts. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is, um, again, without announcing specific customers, I had a, a cross-section of conversations with various suppliers to the professional installer market. And, you know, some of them are quoting 70% gains over prior, uh, you know, pre-COVID revenue levels. Um, some of it's hard to explain, to be honest with you, but I think we've been talking about for years the statistics um, where the average, you know, cars are aging. Uh, this morning's newspapers were covered everywhere with, you know, average age went from 11.9 to 12.1 in the last year and a half. Number of cars up on the road. Um, you know, new car sales are a little slower than, than they have been. Uh, but I think a lot of these used cars are getting back on the road. So cars that were you know, perhaps in the car population that weren't being driven. So we see a resurrection of miles. You know, it looks like the fundamentals are, are really strong, whether the sustainability at the, I mean, current demand levels are a record. Um, is that sustainable? I, you know, I don't know that, but I, I don't anticipate it being softer um, than, you know, than in pre-COVID levels. I, I, do, I do see more dependence on the vehicle and even uh, and just people spending more money on their cars across the board. So I think that's just super interesting that these guys were in a fairly mundane business, right? Just selling hard parts for automobiles, but selling to the big distributors, selling to the companies you'd expect, the O'Reilly Auto Parts and all that, um, um, Napa. And, 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 you know, they're 
they're seeing great demand. They're seeing cars come on the road that haven't been on the road for a long time. Um, and I think um, that's clearly a trend that's um, it's, it jives all the other things we're hearing about the inability of car makers to make cars, about this eventual move towards electric vehicles, maybe even stalling out demand go, uh, right now, and, and uh, the high price of used cars right now. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's take a look at that Wall Street bet's favorite, clean energy fuels. CLNE shares gained over 3% today, and they've gained over 400% in a year. So tell me about clean energy fuels. Yeah, that 400%. I mean, that's that's just an insane number because this, this company has been around forever. I mean, this company has been publicly traded for, well, one of the co-founders of the company is, is long since passed away of old age, that being T. Boone Pickens. Um, and this company has also seen their business suddenly start to really pick up. Uh, they have this notion of recycled natural gas, uh, transportation fuel made from organic waste, and its ability to power trucks. They started off doing projects with some dump trucks and things in the port of Los Angeles, and they've managed to very, very slowly expand. They importantly have a deal with Amazon that a lot of the Wall Street bet guys get super excited about that could prove to be something interesting. And so it was interesting today. To hear the CEO, Andrew Litt, uh, the co-founder of the company with Boone Pickens, um, uh, Litt talked about the ways that they are able to expand their footprint really quickly because what they're delivering isn't fundamentally different from some of the other fuel sources that are being used in the world of trucking right now. And he thinks that that's going to give them an advantage to grow uh, without having to have the kind of capital and infrastructure investment other um, new technologies might require. Uh, we can we can pivot and move our RNG to any truck stop that we have. Uh, it's renewable natural gas. So we have full coverage. We don't move it there yet uh, because of certain customers, uh, but we can and we will uh, as we, for, for instance, uh, the Amazon contract calls for providing fuel in 15 states. And so we'll move it to all those states. So. Uh, that's the beauty of RNG is when you hear about other alternative fuels, um, and, and I'm not knocking them, but you, you talk about building out other infrastructures, that's exactly what they have to do is they have to build out an entirely new infrastructure. We're using, uh, availing, uh, putting our RNG into the nation's grid. And so as long as we can establish a, a pathway, which we can, we have great flexibility to be able to move our RNG literally anywhere in the United States. A pretty bullish notion there that they can accelerate uh, at a fast pace when the business is there to do so. Um, and unlike, as I've said, they've been at it for a long time. If they don't have the plans in place right now, there'd be a problem. Corey, what is your next drill down? Uh, as long as we're talking cars, as long as we're talking alternative fuels, let's look at Fisker. Fisker, Fisker, FSR. Shares fell over 1% today, but they've risen 78% in a year. What's new with Fisker? Well, we had Heinrich Fisker, the founder of the company, talking today at an investment conference. Um, and was, you can see why people get excited when this guy talks, because he spends a lot of time comparing his company, not so much to uh, other electric car makers, but to Apple. And then specifically, he talked a lot about how this company's plan is to um, utilize the car as a platform and constantly update both the software and even the hardware um, but with the sort of chassis in the car remaining a platform and then utilizing contract manufacturers, including Foxconn, so that they put technology first, whatever that means, instead of the actual car and the driving experience. Now, again, I don't know what that means. These are, these are, are, are 
fancy buzzwords, but for the SPAC that's, that's uh, uh, trying to support a stock price and it's raised a lot of money from investors. And importantly, investors are, are have access to a lot of shares to sell themselves right now. This thing, you know, they want to they want to support this thing. And when the SPAC deals typically happen at ten bucks, this thing soared to nearly thirty dollars. In fact, briefly above thirty dollars a share before falling back down to ten dollars a share. And in a day when we had the news that Lordstown Motors was not going to have uh, the CEO and CFO leading it that took the company out, to have Fisker out there and saying bullish things, particularly comparing himself positively to Tesla. I mean, I, I would even say he was kind of throwing shade on the way that Tesla makes its cars. It, it, uh, uh, the, the head fake of making an expensive car with a lot of features and selling a cheaper car, it's not quite the same. What you've seen with a lot of, of pretty much all the startups in the EV space, they start out with a luxury car, which is cool. Uh, and it can really show off a lot of, you know, amazing things. The one issue with that is that whatever you create in that first car is unusable once you go in a lower market segment because all the parts are too expensive. You know, as, as you can have, as you saw with Tesla, for example, you know, they, they couldn't use the door handle from the S and X in the three and Y because they were too expensive. And there's probably many other such, uh, you know, things that you can, examples you can give. So with us, because we started with the Fisker Ocean, which is a fairly affordable vehicle, we can use many of these parts in our next three vehicles. So across four vehicles, we're using the same door handles. We're using the same screen, which is super advanced. And the advantages here is that you only have one investment and now you spread volumes over four vehicles. The other advantage is specifically on the pair program, we're able to put high-tech components in a vehicle below $30,000 that we would never be able to do. So for example, that screen, would you would normally only find in a luxury vehicle, but because we have created the volume by sharing it, we're able to put it in to a more affordable vehicle. Even the ocean will have it, uh, which is also affordable. So it allows us to get more expensive technology into less expensive vehicles. And I think that's going to give us a market advantage when people get into a Fisker, they'll go, wow, I can't even get this in any other car in this price class. So that's his notion about how their cars are going to be different. But here's what he didn't talk about, right? Now, we like to talk about the businesses, not the stocks uh, themselves. But when you look at what's going on with this stock, right, it's this great acceleration. It's got this great promise. You listen to him talk about how much greater these cars are going to be, how he's going to put thousands of them, hundreds of thousands perhaps on the road, maybe even a million of these Fiskers on the road someday. Sounds pretty bullish, right? Uh, I mean, very bullish. And he seems, he sounds very knowledgeable about every aspect of the car. Well, here's something he didn't talk about and wasn't asked about. Last week, the newly public Fisker shares, uh, the uh, founder of this company, Henri Fisker, you just heard from, sold $10 million worth of stock. Is that a big deal? Is that a drop in the bucket for them it or just, is that a big deal? It it just, I don't know. It's, it's you, There's lots of reasons to sell. There's only one reason to buy. But he was so shortly after the IPO and while talking so bullishly about the future of this company, he unloaded a lot of stock uh, worth a lot of money. Uh, and it's not, I don't know, to me, it's not a bullish sign. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it means. I don't know why he did it. But uh, uh, it certainly wasn't discussed in this conference. And I think that generally speaking, not just Fisker, but all of the SPACs, when you see uh, instant value created, you want to see how long the people, because some of the rules are different from other IPOs, not least of which the fact that they can make predictions, which we saw with other companies, 
uh, like Lordstown and others. Again, Fisk was a different company. But one of the things you look for in SPACs, when we had Niccolo Damasi on a few weeks ago, we talked about this. You look for the SPACs where the insiders can get out really fast. It's not such a bullish sign. The more shares that get dumped on the market sooner, the worse sign that can be for some companies. So here you have uh, Henri Fisker selling $10 million shares, $10 million worth of stock, I should say, um, even in this early days of this publicly traded company. All right, well, up next, we're going to take a look at uh, this entirely new notion that is sweeping the world of cybersecurity. It's called Zero Trust. We're going to have the CEO of one of the biggest companies as part of the cybersecurity movement of Zero Trust. Up next. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more powered by an advanced language processing engine which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to the drill down. We've got a great guest today, Jay Chowdhury from Zscaler, uh, the CEO. I didn't mean to uh, put the pressure on Jay by saying you're a great guest, but you're a great guest. Um, Thank you, Corey. What's going on at Zscaler, I think, is so interesting. Um, it seems like every day we've got news of uh, cyber hacks uh, in the headlines, top global headlines. Um, hacking and, 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 and cybersecurity, well, I guess I should back up. What does Zscaler do? Corey, I started this company in 2008 with the simple notion that if applications move the cloud, we start using internet more and more. And if users become mobile, this traditional security, we do it using castle and moat with firewalls and like will not work. It needs a new model. That's what we invented. We castle and moat. I love that. You use that phrase a lot uh, used in the last conference call. Uh, but the notion of uh, cybersecurity through keeping the bad guys out, right? Building bigger and bigger firewalls, building a moat around your enterprise, right. um, maybe never worked, right? Didn't that come out of a Forrester report where someone had this idea of doing things differently? Yes, it has never worked. And no wonder we are getting hacked all day long. As long as we have firewalls, it'll, they will give us a false sense of security. We'll keep on seeing all these things happen out there. We need to wake up and throw these firewalls away and start using the zero trust architecture, which says you are always untrusted. You're never inside my castle. If you need to come in, I'll escort you in. You have a meeting, I escort you out, period. That's the notion of zero trust. That's really what Zscaler built. And as the market is getting educated, Unfortunately, through these bad hacks, customers are realizing that it's shaking off inertia and customers are waking up. It's good to see Biden administration wake up and say, let's do zero trust security. Um, yeah, zero trust. It sounds like my ex-girlfriend. But uh, but uh, indeed, um, the Biden administration, uh, I've seen a number of companies, yours included, um, citing uh, some things coming out of the White House in the last few, really last few months, uh, really last month. Um, uh, changing the way, insisting that companies change the way they treat um, cybersecurity and, and especially within uh, the federal government itself. Specifically, what has the Biden administration done that hadn't been done before? 
I think in the past several years, <clears throat> there was no push on security, even when Russians were trying to mess with our electoral systems. Trying to, they did. Yes, they did. Okay. So Biden administration at least said, we now got to do something about it. Many times administrations talk about we need to do something about it. But I think having a directive, an EO that says, we shall do these things, and here's some money behind it, that is pretty good and strong. They actually tried to specify things that should be done. <clears throat> Zero trust was one of those things. Having strong, good identity system to find out who are you, are you supposed to access things, was the second piece there. So uh, Joe Biden, great guy, probably really smart guy. I, I, I don't know him, but I'm going to guess he doesn't know a lot about uh, Internet architecture and uh, what the right things to do in security are and are not. What is it that's happening? Is it is it is it part of the NSA? Is it part of national security uh, at the White House? It's, it's it does seem that they've got some really smart people working for the Biden administration who figured this out. Yeah, it's always smart people working for the leader, right? Absolutely, and I think Biden is supporting it. They have some smart people. We have lots of smart people in NSA and White House all, all across. I think it's somebody taking leadership and say. Let's narrow down, do these things. It's going to help us. And I believe it will. So explain to me the, the difference between or the overlap between zero trust and identity management companies like Okta out there that help co corporations understand exactly who's doing what when they're logged in as opposed to what they're logging into. Yeah, they're part of the same thing. I'll give you a simple analogy. When I traveled through an international airport, they stop me at the airport to check my passport. When they scan the passport, a call gets made to a database of passports. <laughs> is this passport valid or not? That is what Okta is. Okta says, this user works in this company, it, it can go here. But the actual check post is the international airport that's sitting in line, letting you go or not letting you go. So we are sitting in line enforcing policy to stop you or not letting you go. Identity is an important piece of it. So if you think about two main pieces of zero trust, one is who are you? That's identity from Okta. Two, can I let you go here, there or not? I need to check multiple things for you. I need to check maybe your passport, right? sorry, your, your luggage and all that stuff. That has to happen at the airport itself. We are like the airport. The two together are the most important piece of zero trust security. You guys have seen a lot of growth uh, in both internationally and, and domestically, but it's interesting to me that uh, you know, you've seen maybe a little bit faster growth, slightly faster in the U.S. I would have thought the U.S., both by the fact that your company is based in Silicon Valley and San Jose, California, but also um, that you know, US has a more advanced internet architecture and a more advanced computing architecture than most of the world, that you would have seen this faster in the US. Why has US just started to grow this a lot faster than uh, other places around the world? So our revenue, over 50% comes outside the US, 50% in the US. Everyone needs it. When I started this company, I wanted to be different than most of the startups where after five years, 80% of revenue is in the US, 20% overseas. Right. I put the same size team outside the US that I put in the US. So they're almost 
Is there uh, certain industries where they've seen more pickup? I mean, you're obviously selling to a lot of the cloud service providers uh, directly. Yeah, the recently the big biggest pickup is happening in the financial services market. Financial services were dragging their feet. We can go to the cloud because of regulatory compliance reasons and the like. Well, there's nothing you can do on-prem these days. Even Microsoft Office is not available for on-prem. Exchange is going away. You have no choice. All development tools are happening in the cloud. So everyone has to move to the cloud. And financial services are kind of late adopters for cloud security and cloud. Now they're picking up, moving at a faster pace. What uh, happened with your company in COVID? Obviously, business picked up, as you note, your customers can't go to the office and, and log into traditional firewall systems. Uh, but wh when what changes did you see and at what sort of stages of COVID, uh, or I should say of the pandemic, did you see um, uh, changes in your business? The two big things. One, when countries shut down, for example, when Europe shut down, right. I got a call from many CIOs in Europe four or five days before March 14th. They said, we must be able to work from home. And I got 100,000 employees. I got 50,000 employees. Uh, being a cloud company that's highly scalable, we are able to take the user's traffic, go through our cloud securely, and get them to the application and services they need. So helping employees to securely work from home literally overnight was the scale part of the cloud. By the way, the name Zscaler stands for Zenith of Scalability. I wanted to be able to scale it like nothing else out there. Yeah. Cute idea. You had to find out if you could actually do it last year. What was that like? I mean, where? what did you find that was easier than you expected? Where did you find bottlenecks that you didn't expect? Surely both happened. Yeah, cloud is no magic. Okay. I mean, there are systems and software sitting behind the scene that someone has to put in place. The good thing is we have a very good architecture that scales. That's how we built. Yes, we had to work hard for, for 36 hours. We were working nonstop adding capacity to our cloud. When I can't suddenly imagine. So what, what does that mean exactly? You see, you're, you're going to Amazon and saying, give no, us more space. How no, does no. it work? We, we are actually running most of our cloud in our own data center for more scale, better, better user experience. Amazon runs only in so many places. We are sitting in traffic path. We have, we are running in 150 locations. So are you physically getting more servers online and, and, we, and like yes. running down to, that to, is correct. to Walmart and grabbing some Dell computers and no, throwing them on no, the wall? No, like, no. <laughs> no, no, you have to manage capacity. We saw this coming in mid-January when our customers like Siemens called us that China is going in shutdown mode. We need help. Then it moved to Korea. We saw this thing happening in Italy in February timeframe. So we picked up enough hardware capacity that was needed to make it happen. And we built around, we stacked it. We were ready in our data centers. And as demand suddenly became 5X, our people did actually work day and night to make sure we bring it online. Uh, what about hiring during this time frame? Because you have, if you're growing your business during the time when everyone else is pulling back, I mean, you know, buildings are shutting down. Now, traffic got better in Silicon Valley. I can tell you that. that that's only happened once in my lifetime, yes. and that wasn't pretty also. Uh, but traffic got better, but everything else got worse in terms of your ability to, to, to do business. Yeah, so hiring, we, we were worried that we won't be able to hire people. We had to mentally shift 
to be able to interview remotely and hire people. Actually, it has worked out pretty well. Uh, surprisingly, the productivity has been up uh, all around. It has been working very well. Now, I'm tired of being at home all day, all, all the time. Um, <laughs> you can I, see I'm in the office right now. I get it. Right? I'm looking forward to go out and meet customers and friends. But productivity from home has been very, very good overall. Now, you reported a quarter uh, just recently. Uh, we did a little uh, thing in our broadcast about that quarter that looked so strong. Your growth rate, uh, I'm not calling us after COVID by any means, mm -hmm. but your growth rate in the quarter that ended in April accelerated faster than the January quarter, accelerated faster than the, you know, April last year or even July last year. Right. Um, what, what is leading to that? Are these permanent changes? It's not just a pull forward? The short answer is these are permanent changes. Investors have been asking me every quarter, this must be the COVID quarter, so you saw the growth. I told them that yes, COVID has increased growth, but the biggest thing COVID did for us and did for IT leaders is actually it shook off inertia, okay? It caused a mindset change. A CIO used to think that my massive network is so important to do business. And suddenly overnight, everyone it's, is working home. It's, not what, it's, what they call the, it's what they call the edifice complex, right? Yes. They can stand, not the edifice complex, but the edifice complex. They can stand in front of their fantastic server room and all the things that they've built at their office and say, this is my edifice. I built this. Yes. yes. So suddenly realize that it's not needed. So they accelerated the digital transformation. They accelerated collaboration tools, office, team, Zoom. And to secure all of that, we are needed. So it is actually a permanent shift that's accelerating to embrace cloud, to embrace mobility. And we are the best architecture designed for that as compared to lots of legacy firewall companies who are trying to say, I have become a cloud company overnight. Just trust right, me. Right. Well, it, it is hard to determine, and it's not just tech companies, but it's hard for me to determine quite often when I talk to CEOs, when I listen to conference calls, when I look at the numbers, how much is pull forward of demand and how much is a permanent change or an acceleration of change? You know, I would argue that, that you know, the toilet paper companies saw a pull forward of demand because of hoarding, right? We're seeing that in the results from some of the food companies. Yep. But there are other companies, like the restaurant business, right, where they made, I was looking at Wendy's results, they made a technological, a choice about technological change to accelerate the ability of customers to make digital orders to speed up the drive-through. They're not going back. Absolutely. Right? Companies that adopted DocuSign to mm -hmm. manage documents online and to assign uh, things online and get rid of legacy systems, they're yep. not going back. Absolutely. And there's so many retail stores who are doing so much business online. For example, Nike's of the world. They moved online. It's a good thing for them. They're no longer dependent upon a middle tier of retailers. So as you look forward over the next year or two, what are your three biggest priorities? As we move forward, we are focused on helping customers to secure their digital transformation. What do I mean by that? They're all starting with applications. When they build applications in the cloud, their old network is complex, it's slow, it's expensive. They right. want to eliminate that, go over the internet, where internet becomes a network. They save cost, they save complexity. That's number one. Number two, is they want much better security. Security is no longer a CISO's priority. It is CIO's priority, it's board's priority. 
when they move from this traditional castle and mode firewall-based security model, they actually improve security. We're helping accelerate that. We're helping eliminate the, the biggest problem we had, this is VPN, virtual private network. Right. I, I can connect from anything to anywhere. And number three is they want to be agile with Zscaler. If they want to open a new office in Kuala Lumpur ha and have secure access, it can be done in days, not in months. That's, that's dramatic, and that's dramatic change across all industries. I've got to think that all of the headlines, the Colonial Pipeline hacking, the you know, the, 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 the day after day we see the headlines, even the resolution, right? So we find the colonial, the White House helped the colonial hack line, uh, pipeline guys get their money back, right? But <laughs> even that's got to help drive your business. Do you see a direct one-to-one -one correlation of your phone ringing or your in inbox filling up when you see these things hit the headlines? It is helping, but I can't do direct correlation because it's not that they call me and say, deliver me five things tomorrow. Okay, we are part of the transformation change. But every conversation I have, today I talked to two CIOs of some of the largest banks. The discussion invariably starts with colonial pipeline type of stuff, solar winds type of attack. So it is on their mind. It's accelerating their decision making. It's creating a more sense of urgency whereby before they would have taken months, now they want to take weeks. Fascinating stuff. Jay Chowdhury, the CEO of Zscaler. Uh, we appreciate your time and certainly we're going to keep an eye on your company because the growth there has been fantastic with this zero trust approach. I don't know if it works well in a relationship, but it works great in cybersecurity. <laughs> right. Jay, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Corey, thank you so much. All right. Well, coming up next on the Drill Down, the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about the acceleration of the growth of the sales of Zscaler's products. So I want to compare the growth rate from the most recent quarter ending in April to that already terrific growth rate rate uh, from a year before. They were growing at 40% a year ago. How fast were they growing in the most recent April quarter? We'll tell you that when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter that's era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And if you're like so many of our listeners, you've made listening to the Drill Down a daily habit. We appreciate that. We hope we're giving you the business news you need every day. You can make that easier by subscribing to the Drill Down podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Okay, we told you that in the most recent quarter, there was an acceleration, a dramatic acceleration of Zscaler's already robust growth. A year ago in the quarter ending in April, the company was seeing 40% growth. Isaac, in the most recent quarter, that growth rate accelerated to 60%. That is your drill down bite, a 50% difference on a year over year basis in the growth rate. Um, I'm not good at math, but 60 from 40 is 50%. That seems... Uh... Something if to celebrate. I accelerated my growth rate by 50%, I'd be like nine feet tall Ten by feet what, tall. Wednesday. <laughs> um, yes, a fantastic That's stuff right. from Zscaler. Jay Chowdhury, what an interesting company. Uh, Isaac, what a uh, fascinating story. We'll keep an eye on that one. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, thanks for listening to The Drill Down. We do appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business 
Podcast Network. Hey.